0: Hey, you like Pez? It looks like that. Here's Heaney from the boundary line. He's an expert at these. From the
1: line. Hello and welcome to Behind the Boundary podcast. I'm your host Pez. I'm here with Sauce. We have just had a big round of semi-final football and a bombshell that hit the Twitter world yesterday. And it came out uh, all guns blazing today with Lockie Neal source requesting a trade back to the Fremantle
0: Dockers. Absolutely huge news, Pez, especially after you know what we witnessed on uh, Saturday night—one of the great finals from the Brisbane Lions and the Western Bulldogs—and you know as early as Sunday night it came out in the media and it got dropped on uh, Channel Nine in, in in Perth. And you know the, all day today we've been waiting for the confirmation from the Brisbane Lions, and yeah, so Lockie Neal has expressed his uh, want and need to go back home for, for personal and family reasons.
1: Yeah, it's, it came as a big shock to me. Shock to me. I wasn't um, going on Twitter uh, last night, Source, uh, on the Sunday. It is Monday today. And uh, you sent me the little screenshot of a, a verified Twitter member breaking the news and I was sitting there going, you have to be kidding me because i hearing stories about how Lockie Neil is with his group of mates up at Brisbane and uh, going to each other's houses and you know having a drink on the weekends after the games and stuff I thought uh, a very very strange decision but you read into it and you've got uh, they left Perth originally because they didn't want that lifestyle and then obviously they don't like Brisbane too much and they want to start a family and they want to bring them up in uh, in Perth
0: yeah, it is um, it is really, really interesting because all reports coming out of Brisbane, as you said, sort of, uh, Pez, is that they're a tight group up there, you know, they're building something and and that's all we've heard for the last five or six years there, that they're really building something in a community and they're building up the football club from within, they seem like a really tight group and, and you know, after experiencing such a heartbreaking loss on um, Saturday night, then 24 hours later they come out that, hey, you know they've expressed that they want to uh they they want to go back to Perth. You know, um, Lockie Neal's wife. They're looking at having some um kids, and, and they're all from Perth. Their their from there. She's now finished her her bachelor degree or her, her um um university degree that she was doing. So, you know, to return home and the biggest thing Pez is though he's breaking that uh, five year deal that uh, they traded for him uh, four years ago.
1: Yeah, with well, one year left on the deal, and a Brownlow medalist up there. Uh, They've you know been up the top if you can if you can even say that, uh, but haven't been winning in, in the final series. The furthest they've made it is into the prelim last year when they won the first final uh, against the eventual premier Richmond uh, and played at the Gabba against Geelong in a prelim and lost. And they've been out in straight sets in in another two years, including uh, just gone past on on Saturday night by a point. So. Uh, yeah big shock for me i thought they were going to you know keep that group together get uh, a couple of their injured players back together and give it another real hot uh, crack they'll still try and do that brisbane and they'll have to see what they can get back but he's still contracted and no one in the afl usually does this but what they can do is turn around and say you're with us for one more year uh, like what Geelong did kind of with tim Kelly and said you're just playing for us we're going to go for it all
0: yeah, we saw we saw Geelong do this uh, a couple of years ago as you said with Tim Kelly, they reloaded for one last shot and they sort of they got to the prelim and they you know unfortunately couldn't get past Richmond again that year. But um, you know a lot of clubs don't do it and I think this is a really unique one Pez, because it, it, it there's so many you know sliding door scenarios that you can do here Fremantle obviously when they um when they traded for when they sorry when they sent him off to Brisbane originally, Brisbane gave up pick 6. Nineteen and fifty-five, and they were getting you know a twenty-six, a uh, Fremantle player in his prime, and went on to win a Brownlow. Obviously, I think the next season or the year after, but for Fremantle to take him back now, they're getting uh, you know an, an older player who who struggles to get on the park, and they would have to um, obviously give up a, a fair bit because Brisbane, you know, they 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 still believe that he's a, a you know an elite AFL midfielder, and and I don't know if Fremantle have the the cattle to sort of. To, to, to get something back in return? so Brisbane to get something back in return.
1: Uh, I think uh, Brisbane are going to ask the world, considering he's a contracted player, and uh, he can't just walk through free see or anything like that. Uh, the good thing about Fremantle is Adam Chera has already asked for a, a trade, and he wants to move back to Victoria. So maybe they, they look into a three-way deal there, and uh, lucky enough, Carlton have, I think, pick six, which is what Brisbane gave up for him in the first place. So maybe that can be a part of the deal somewhere, but I'm sure they'll want a little bit more than that and I don't know if a pick is really the best thing for the Brisbane Lions at the moment either because a ready a made midfielder to slot into that rotation uh, instead of Lockie Neal would probably be uh, more wanted from, from Brisbane so very interesting to see how the, that works in the offseason.
0: It is really interesting Pez and it's something that definitely will develop over the offseason and you know you know, for fans of the show, that's one of our favourite times, the way that they wheel and deal in that uh, that trade week that they that sort of, you know, ridiculously goes for five days and it's just intense as anything for, for, for five days. Uh, but this is a story that's going to build and there'll be a lot of opinions come around of it, Pez. But a question without notice, if you're Brisbane, do you trade him away or do you try and reload for one more year and keep him there?
1: Oh, I'm going one more year. Uh, and I know what comes into place is humani- humanitarian-type things and saying, oh, he wants to start his family, get him over there. But uh, I think one more year, put him back in there get a healthy Brisbane Lions, you put Eric Hipwood back into that forward line. You put Daniel McStay, who didn't play on the weekend. You put Cameron Rayner back into that forward line as well. They had plenty of injuries to their forward line. Their midfield was all right. Their defence was pretty good. Um, Harris Andrews was looked pretty good in that fourth quarter, which I'm sure we'll speak about um, later on. He looked good up forward, but... Uh, they've got a lot of different pieces there and I think Rocky Neal is a, a big piece that either takes a lot of attention away or he just accumulates a lot of the pill and uh, uh, can really get, get the job done and we've seen him you know, dominate the season and win a Brownlee. He had 46 disposals in the first final. He played a decent game, 20, 28 or 29 disposals on the weekend as well. So uh, yeah, I'd keep him.
0: Yeah, you're right, Pez. It is one of those... Age old questions. If you are running a a, like a business and, and a Fremantle, sorry, if Brisbane can get enough back that helps them compete for a premiership, that's what they've got to weigh up. Pez, is you know if this if they're to do this trade for a team that finish you know what fifth, they need to be getting better. So and that's that's what you look at the deal if you're looking from a strictly business point of view they do the trade to get better they don't do the trade to, to get worse so picks in the draft and you know unless they're getting an established midfielder or something that they can fit into their their ready made lineup you know we don't want to be closing the window um, any sort of distance at all pairs. you want to keep that window open and if anything you want to make it so it's a, a clearer shot at the the premiership and I just don't see this deal and looking at Fremantle's list and knowing that Fremantle sort of got the upper hand here because Brisbane have um, been through this before. We've seen them do this before. They did it with, um, they did it with beams and they sort of gave him away for basically nothing. And and they did the humanitarian thing, but I just don't see Fremantle being able to offer enough to to make Brisbane better. And that's what you're going to do when you're doing a trade trade.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's what they're going to look for. So if I'm Brisbane, I'm definitely listening to all offers that get put on the table, but I'm not just uh, – I'm going to do a Adrian Dodoro from Essendon and uh, play play real hardball and, and not offer anything up uh, too easy and take it right down to the wire to see if I can get the most for my list so I'll give Chris Fagan the best chance of uh, coaching them to a grand final berth next year.
0: And I guess the other question, Pez, that I've got for you is what about West Coast? Like, West Coast are in a unique situation – where, you know, a lot of people had them in the top eight. They sort of bombed out towards the end of the year with an injection of someone like Lockie Neal there going back to his home state. Would that be something that uh, West Coast would look for?
1: Am I still Brisbane Lions? Because I'll say, yep, oh, I'll do that. Give me Elliot Yo. We'll take Elliot Yo back.
0: That's not a bad little trade. <laughs> there you go, Piss.
1: <laughs> that's, fir- that's a first name I'd be asking, uh, asking for for West Coast anyway, but uh, we don't know. West Coast are in a bit of turmoil with the season they had and... Uh, what's happening with their aging list. So we'll see if any of those guys are up uh, going somewhere else in pregnancy or up for trade or or discussion. It'll be very interesting. But the other thing that we do um, have is we've still got four teams left in at source, but we just did have the semifinals on Friday and Saturday night. So uh, we do have to uh, review those games and talk to those games. There was a, a couple of whipping games of finals footy with a, a lot of controversy and a lot of, of course, uh, footy fans unhappy in, in the Twitterverse.
0: Yeah, it was. Let's start off with the Friday night game, Pierce. This is probably the less controversial game um, in terms of uh, the way the game was played and the way that the the score sort of ended up. You had Geelong taking on the Giants, and the Cats sort of controlled the game for for ninety percent of the game. There was a lapse in that sort of third, fourth quarter where you know they had a, a game high thirty eight point lead, and they sort of. You know, they allowed the Giants to get back in there. They they got it down to twenty points with some some you know quick goals and some quick movement, and they looked like they sort of might have might have challenged Geelong, but Geelong were just too strong. Um, Hawkins went fantastic. Pez he kicked uh, you know three goals and, and really really um, showed why that forward line can be really dangerous when it's up and firing.
1: Yeah, I, I felt for GWS um, really before the game when we heard the big news about Jesse Hogan oh, huge. because. One one of the avenues for them to, to win the game when I was uh, you know putting on my GWS hat last week was it included a big big part with Jesse Hogan taking those contested marks like he did uh, the previous week against the Swans, but uh, wasn't able to happen. Their forward line structure just just couldn't get into it. They didn't have any idea they had Taranto up there who wasn't being involved in the game. They needed him in the midfield, and then they you know they wouldn't have anyone up forward, so. Uh, Geelong, I think, dominated in that first quarter, just couldn't capitalise. They, they couldn't uh, get anything going. The second quarter was quite even. And then uh, I think the third quarter was when Geelong really uh, broke that out. But uh, the biggest thing for mine for that game was the inclusion of that, uh, I don't know what you call him, the, the halfback type player, which wasn't Tom Stewart because he's injured, but it was Zach Tui who took on the reins of that um, with his elite kicking around the ground. And he was everywhere.
0: It really um, showed you showcases Geelong's strength when they have that player in there. Like, Zach Tui obviously played a modified role, and when him and Stewart are in the team, they're incredible to watch the way they operate in that back line. But you're right, Pez, having someone so versatile like Zach Tui to, to fill in that sort of role, you know, those short, smart kicks as well as those big, booming, long kicks. And not only that, Pez, he looked like he hadn't missed a, a game all season. He looked incredibly fit. He was around the game. He had, um, I think he had 29 disposals, Pez, uh, and, uh, sorry, 31 disposals. And he was absolutely everywhere, especially in that first quarter when you know the game and the tone was really set. He was able to not um, take on the intercepting role, Pez, but just to anchor that quarterback style that we've seen from Geelong over the last couple of years, and really, really set up the rest of their midfield. It was allowed you know Sam Managola to play more of a natural role in the middle. Cam Guthrie was fantastic, had twenty five, and uh, you know all the other sort of uh, Geelong midfielders that we normally see pop up. They just did their role, and it was just something that Geelong has missed over the last month.
1: Oh, well, most definitely. You had Tom Hawkins on fire up forward, Cameron chipping in with two goals as well. Um, But a couple of players that, you know, always go under the radar that haven't always been uh, massive fans are, but Brad Close, you know, just a young player. He kicked his two goals. But one for mine, he doesn't touch the pillar a lot. He had 14 touches. was Jed Buse, and he's been in the side for a long period of time. And, gee, when he gets the ball, he loves to take on an opponent and and gain that extra 15 or 20 metres, and he's been doing that this final
0: series he's definitely a player that pairs uh, for Geelong supporters that doesn't lack confidence and ever since he came in and that's sort of what you know um ensured that he was able to get a consistent gig in that Geelong back line and you know just taking on the ball and and when he seems to have so much time as well and I think especially what's really happened over the last you know the last month and especially his final series that you've seen, again, he seems to just be able to create so much time for himself and he's really come into his own. And, you know, that experience the last couple of final series, he's able to bring some poise to it and make the right decisions. And I think that, you know, that really stood out. I would have totally agree with you, Pez. I thought he was fantastic on Friday night.
1: Yeah, and someone that uh, probably wasn't quite as fantastic had, I think there was three, three crucial errors, including a, a miss kick and, and airy in the goal square, was the young Max Holmes, who's been in and out of the side all season, uh, and I'm, I'm not sure if uh, Geelong have a, have another more experienced player to put in against Melbourne, but it felt like he, he was running really well in that half forward line. You know, he was tackling, he was doing all the all the good things. But when the ball came to him a couple of times, whether it be a fumble, a hesitation or whatever it was, uh, he made some pretty big errors that didn't cost the team in the end. But against the Melbourne side in a prelim final, uh, that pressure could get to a young player like that.
0: Yeah, he's definitely one of those players that your right Pez has been in and out of the side, and uh, the finals pressure definitely was very evident to him. He probably needs uh, probably another year, another preseason there. But what might work in his favour was the injury from Parfit, uh, you know, doing his hamstring early in that first quarter. Um, so you know, you would assume that that he, you know, probably Dalhouse comes comes back in, maybe Simpson. Uh, Zach Guthrie was uh, off, come off the, the substitute bench. He was fantastic as well. I think that he probably keeps his spot in the side, but you know only because of the Parford injury. I think that you know with, with parford in there and, and they might get someone else back that he would definitely probably looking at a, a, an unfortunate week off in a Prelim.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, I would have loved to see this game um, with the, the big fellow up forward in Jesse Hogan because uh, Lockie Whitfield was absolutely everywhere. They gave him the ball at every single occasion that they could. And sometimes teams will shut Lockie Lockie Wiffle down and give him, you know, 12 to 15 disposals in the game and, you know, really shut him down. Geelong didn't seem to care. They're like, all right, Lockie Wiffle, you take the ball on the wing, you do this. We're just going to defend better behind the ball because you guys don't have a forward structure. And uh, I I think in terms of that, uh, I don't know if it was outcoached or it was just undermanned for the GWS Giants.
0: Yeah, he was fantastic, pairs. and I like what you said there—that um, every opportunity they were giving the ball to him, a- and he was making the right decision. Him hopper through the middle looked fantastic. Kelly had a, a you know a quiet twenty-five, pairs, but he again, you know, they're, they're such elite users of the footy. Do you know who a re- game I really liked from GWS was was the Big Mummy? I thought Mummy had a huge impact around the ground, and he saw definitely in that last quarter. You know, definitely going to be his last game, but he was injured and bruised and battered and um, you know he, he was a huge part of their success this year
1: no one's talking him out of retirement again <laughs> oh, for the third fourth time, fourth time many times the time
0: <laughs> give him a couple of polls, um, I'm sure he'll uh, he'll sign another contract
1: yeah I'm not sure he will but um, the other one was uh, Phil Davis who also came in uh, struggling to get a game but uh, came in for Jesse Hogan and played down back and they restructured a little bit so um, interesting to see if Phil Davis goes goes around again and where GWS stand in that list they've still got Heaps of young talent. We saw um, Bobby Hill kick an absolutely amazing oh, goal uh, in that game. You had uh, Sam Taylor, who's had a decent season. He he was shut down by uh, the Cats ball movement in the forward line, and he couldn't get his intercept game going. But um, he, he's a really good one there. They've, they've got pieces around there. Uh, they, can they compete again? Yes, of course they can. We have to see what they do in the offseason. And one that's really interesting for mine, is Steve Canilio because uh, ever since that documentary came out, I, I think uh, he's been teetering with his form and uh, not sure that he's up to it, uh, definitely not up to it as, as the captain.
0: Yeah, and I think the only thing that will save his job this year, Pez, is uh, Toby Green's indiscretions and missing uh, most likely a couple of games into uh, next season. But I totally agree, Pez. They were one of those teams that they started the year, and you know, we're almost doing the season over, Pez. They started their their season 0-3 and, and they've had an, a range of different injuries throughout the year. I looked at the, the finals. Um, they do this finals ladder thing where it talks about how many games their players are missing. They had the second most player games missing through injury with 700 Hundred and sixty one for that final series. You you add uh, you know a little bit of a um, bit more experience in there, and some of those those uh, those guns that are sitting on the sidelines through suspension or injury, and they're a decent side. Like we we've seen them when they get into September, they they know how to win in September, and that is really crucial. What they need to do is they need to, as you said, go back to the drawing board, whether it be coaching, whether it be cattle, whether they've got the right list there, and they need to work out how not to put themselves in a race for eighth and get themselves in that middle, you know, fifth, sixth, and make it actually a race for the top four.
1: Yeah, one of the most uh, injury-prone clubs over the past five or so seasons. Um, But interesting, uh, what you say there, is they had a a few people missing, and um, everyone spoke about Toby Green, and of course, Jesse Hogan, but not many people spoke of Tom Green, and Tom Green, into that midfield, that inside midfielder, frees up those other players to play more on the outside, and, and continue to go. So that, that one player in Tom Green would have made an absolutely massive difference as well. And 35 points in the end, really comfortable to Geelong. They get to go uh, to to the prelim. I'm guessing it's either Adelaide Oval or Optus Stadium. Yeah, I yeah, don't see why it wouldn't level. be at Optus. Um, and they get to, you know, they had a massive lead against Melbourne not many rounds ago, round 23, where Melbourne stole the top spot off them. And can they do that again? And can they hold on this time or have Melbourne figured them out. So it's going to be really interesting when we get to preview that later in the week.
0: Yeah, definitely will, Pez. Uh, Until then, let's get on to the other game, the Saturday night game, the the one that everyone was talking about, Pez, because it was a one-point thriller. It was uh, going deep into that fourth quarter, Pez. I thought we were going to have extra time, and uh, there's some interesting decisions that sort of put uh, some, some players in positions to be able to score, but definitely one of the finals for the ages, Pez.
1: Yeah, finals for the ages, which was um, ruined by something that I hate. And I I hate this in finals footy every time I watch footy with you or every time I watch footy with anyone. Whenever it is paid, I say, geez, do I hate these sort of free kicks. Um, And the one I'm talking about is 78 all, uh, under two minutes to go, a ball up in the middle of the ground, and they've paid a a ruck free kick. And no one knows which way it's going because no one ever knows. I think you get the two people in the ruck, You go, all right, go hammer and tong. You just can't drag him to the ground or anything or grab him by the jumper. Uh, They're the only rules. And then you just go, and I'm not going to blow my whistle because the strongest bloke in the ruck can get it down and and do whatever they need to to do that. So I hate ruck free kicks. I've been on record of saying that before. And did it lead to a Western Bulldogs score? Well, yes, it did because the ball went inside 50. And would have I loved to see a a better finish there? Uh, I can't believe I'm talking about a better finish in a a one-point finals game source but uh, a better finish in terms of uh, more, more fair uh, 78 all and you're fighting it out and you're not just giving away a, a little free kick in the ruck there
0: yeah and then pez like you look at the free kick and yes technically it's correct but it was the first ruck infringement all game and to me there wasn't enough in it to, 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 you know, in such a crucial point of the game to be doing that. For one, the ball wasn't even thrown up or wasn't bounced um, straight up anyways. Like, like you, that's taken into consideration. The other one that I re- that really annoyed me, Pez, was about, I think it was, there was three minutes left to go and there was the downfield confusion that uh, that was caused, Pez, and, it, you know, the free kick was correctly reversed, I guess. Um, McCarthy throws defender to the ground, 50 metres off the ball, but... Very titty tatty going into the Brisbane forward line with a game so close, and I just I just really question why that is called then. And you know, traditionally in finals, Pez, you know, any sort of sport, you hear it from every sort of fan. The last five minutes, put the whistle away and let them play. We don't want a game decided, whether it be correct or wrong. Now it's different if the guy absolutely belts the, the you know the living shit out of him. That's a bit different. Or if the ruck free kick is is a close line, but. These technically correct ones is not what we want to be talking about with a one-point game on the Monday morning.
1: No, and That's that's all we are talking about, but that was absolutely bullshit as well because <laughs> you saw on the replay, um, McCarthy's the one getting held and he's moved his arm to kind mm-hmm. of retaliate. The free kick wasn't just a free kick where it was in, in the Brisbane Lions yeah. forward line there. They actually went to the where the ball was, about 60 or 70 metres away sourcing and, and gave the Bulldogs an opportunity to go forward from there. Um, and it might seem like we're just saying, hey, the, the Bulldogs shouldn't have won this. There was so many free kicks throughout the, the game source that you know um, went the other way as well. But the, the ones you always remember are the ones in that final five minutes. Uh, when there was 13 minutes or so on the clock, the commentator said, all right, the umpires have put the whistle away here. This is fantastic. And I was sitting there going, this is going to be an absolutely amazing end. And it was. You've got to take out those decisions and, and see what happened. And the biggest moment for me it wasn't even a game-winning score in the end, but Bailey Smith on the, on the left foot, I have not seen a, a more artsy goal from the boundary line there. That was absolutely amazing on the opposite peak from Bailey Smith.
0: Mate, and pulled out the old, uh, you, you'll love this one, Pez, being a Minnesota fan like me, uh, the old D-Lo, ice in the veins, ice in the veins uh, celebration there, you know, uh, absolute clutch, Pez. It was absolute clutch. The way he sort of maneuvered his way around and took a pin. Yes, it was an arsy goal. I don't know if he'd be able to kick it again, but oh my god was it good.
1: Mate, I think you're confused. That's not... That's not ice in my veins. That's a little bit of uh, Sam Mitchell I'm, I'm injecting into my blood and just giving a little bit to the uh, Essendon fans for elim- eliminating from oh, the week before. Oh, no. Come on, take it to the positive <laughs> there, mate. That is ice in the veins.
0: That was clutch. And uh, right, let, let's actually talk about the game, pairs because this was, a, was an interesting game because uh, it was a game that the the Western Bulldogs sort of struggled to take control of early. They really, really struggled in that first half. And, you know, especially that first quarter, they let Cameron, you know, Cameron again... Kate went off the leash in that first quarter, Pez. I think he was three goals in the first quarter. Was that last week? It was three two goals. goals. Like, three he goals. absolutely amazing for them to let him get off the leash again. Back-to-back finals first week, off, uh, off the leash, and took control. And it looked like the Brisbane Lions were going to take, you know, take this game and, and kick themselves right into to a prelim final.
1: Yeah, well, Liber was quite impressive early on oh. with a couple of little snaps around the corner, just finding space uh I love him as a player, and then Charlie Cummin finding plenty of space down the other end. The one that he kicked uh, on the run, source from about forty-five out across the body, running at full pace. Uh, you can't you can't get a harder kick in footy, I don't think, and and that was um, absolutely divine. And you thought Brisbane were going to get on top and you know continue to go in the second quarter, and then the Bulldogs just fought back somehow. Now the the biggest thing for me in the game was Oscar McInerney. Now. Did he have the dominance that the commentators were talking? I'm not too sure. He, he grabbed the ball out of the ruck numerous times against the, the two Bulldogs ruckmen and, and willed the ball forward and, and did things like that. But if he's dominating that much, then surely they would c- continue to dominate uh, up the ground a little bit more. So McInerney was doing his best to get the ball forward, but then Brisbane, or, or is it the Bulldogs, were defending really well. Brisbane couldn't get the scores when they're going inside 50, which was uh, really worrying
0: It's an interesting one, Pez, because I don't know whether it was the Western Bulldogs defenders or the Brisbane Lions uh, forward line really making a mess of it. But you are correct. The ball did continually get banged forward. And that's not how Brisbane was scoring. And it's definitely not, you know, I don't know if it was the Western Bulldogs, you know, stopping it. But if you look at their game style, they were creating contested possessions, they were creating stoppages and then they were taking the ball from the stoppages. So I guess if you're looking at, a, a, you know, a defensive mindset, they were able to to stop those forward entries and stop them progressing there. But, but you are correct. It, you know, it's very interesting when you, you hear commentators talk about them just blazing the ball forward and how they're dominating in the ruck and it's like well yes they might be dominating the possession and the hitouts and you know the clearances from a stoppage but is it resulting in goals is it resulting in goal assists is it resulting in impact probably not
1: yeah it was um i'm thinking there McInerney, like let's let's do it you're getting the ball every single time let's make this mm-hmm. kick forward a, a, a little bit more, you know, centered or whatever you need to um, to to get the ball into your team's hands and, and to continue to go forward. Um, the the other thing you've got um, Pelly who landed awkwardly on that knee in that fourth quarter sauce and sat the last uh, few minutes off. And for them to get over the line with their superstar on the bench as well is, is another thing. And, and kudos to the Western Bulldogs, for, you know, sticking around for as long as they did. They had to kick a few goals to get back in. with a a shot at it, got the lead, and then Brisbane came back. It was absolutely thrilling, that fourth quarter on the couch.
0: Yeah, it was absolutely thrilling, Pez. And, uh, you know, I feel like it's one of the... Actually, you you talked about the uh, the Bailey-Smith goal, Pez, but the next goal that came straight after, about a minute later, Zach Bailey's goal with 75 seconds there... That was incredible as well, and it's one of those goals that's not going to be talked about ever because, you know, it obviously resulted in a loss, and we're all talking about Bailey Smith, but if, if Zach Bailey is to be able to manoeuvre through and, and get that shot off from 45 at full pace, absolutely incredible, um, but we're also not talking about Botton pally enough of, of how good a game he played. Like, he kicked three behinds pairs, three gettable goals that he would normally eat up for breakfast – he could have one of the great final berths. 29 disposals, three goals. And he was fantastic. And it, you're right, though. It was good to see the Western Bulldogs actually hold on and, you know, win a game with their superstar on the bench. Has flown over to Perth, Pez. They are hopeful that he will get onto the park against um, Port Adelaide on Saturday night. But it's definitely going to be an anxious wait for Western Bulldogs fans.
1: You got any news on Stefan Martin? Is his season done?
0: Stefan Martin? No, I don't have any. Yeah. Is he mine still?
1: <laughs> no, well, he is for the Bulldogs. He was a big piece and a reason to their success early in the year. And I think they've really struggled with him in the last five or six weeks without him in the ruck and having to put English in there as, as their number one ruck. Um, and then Lewis Young as a secondary ruckman. So I think against Port Adelaide and with Port Adelaide's strength in their midfield as well as the Bulldogs, I think they can try and take advantage a little bit better than Brisbane did uh, coming up in the prelim final. So that's uh, just some early early mail, I think, unless uh, Stefan Martin is miraculously back for whatever reason.
0: Well, on the 21st of August, Pez, they were talking about that he could be coming back for the final. So it could be something that he could be up for selection there. It was a groin injury that he was really struggling with, but uh, they they do need to work that out because the, the Bulldogs definitely have that deficit. When they chuck, um, when they don't have that, you know, established ruckman in there, because they've got a couple of holes that we've talked about a couple of times, pairs with Josh Bruce out in that forward line, and they just don't have the bodies to fill it at the moment.
1: Yeah, they don't. Uh, one um, other player that was, he, he was getting booed, uh, Josh Shackey, who you know wanted to leave the Brisbane Lions really early when he got a high draft pick over there, but um, yeah, he, he kicked a goal and, and was wrapped to do it in Bulldogs colours at the Gabba. Uh, against all those Brisbane Lions fans who were booing him. I, I think this is the one of the finals games where you had players that have played for, for both clubs. Um, it, it was kind of strange to see and, the, and we'll see it more and more in the future well when players you know move clubs more freely.
0: Yeah, you had the the Friday night game with GWS and uh, Jeremy Cameron's first game against his former side, and you know, I guess not as a, a popular and a sort of a, a stand name of uh, Shacky there Pez, but but you're right, two super, you know, two um, big names, not two big names, but two previous clubs players, and they were able to to win a final, and, and both of those teams got the win against their old club, which is good for Geelong fans and uh, good for the Doggies fans.
1: Yeah, we had Marcus Adams as well, which. Uh you know, he used to play for the Bulldogs, but uh, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't get the win on the other side. But, um, yeah, Brisbane would have to be absolutely shattered by that. Bulldogs fans, absolutely ecstatic, over the moon, uh, doing whatever they can to do. They will be – we don't know if they'll be with Bonte Pally or not, but it's looking like they'll be without that Cody Waitman um, who got subbed out with a concussion. But I did hear that it might just be a knock to the head, not actually a concussion test. So – he could be available in the next week's so.
0: off. Well, then he shouldn't have been subbed off. bits. Bit. It was just a head knock. It just, wasn't. Oh, it wasn't just, concussion. Well, hang on a tick. That's. the, 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 the mm, I don't know about that one. Might, I think that's it might uh, be the
1: finals concussion rule.
0: Oh, the finals concussion rule. I really hope we don't have to be talking about this grand final week because, you know, we are all for um, head injuries and making sure that the players are going through the right protocols to ensure you know the best possible result for them in their future. But we don't want to be talking about that, Pez, a player um, you know, trying to rot the system or a club trying to rot the system just to, to win a football game. It's not on.
1: Yeah, well, hopefully, with uh, I'm pretty sure the week off is going to be after the prelim because the you know, grand final is set for the 25th of September. So there's the, the Brownlow weekend to happen in between there. So I think if a player gets concussed this weekend, it's a 14-day concussion rule, I think they should be able to make it. But what if the team plays on Saturday, Saturday night? Saturday
0: night they won't be able to. No, so it's, tw- really it's 12 days. 12 days, I think, Pez. I think it's 12, 12 days. 12 days. Oh, well,
1: he is, he is hoping. I was just trying to create some controversy <laughs> oh, there. Uh,
0: I think it's 14 days. It'd
1: <laughs> be a big advantage playing on the Friday night if that was the case and there was um 15 days away and the, the concussion rule was 14 days. That would be massive.
0: It would be massive, Pez. But next week we are set up for some amazing prelims and it's a little bit of a shame that we're going to have to wait that extra week between the grand final because the AFL is locked in on the, the 25th. They must have... Uh, I'm not sure what else they've got on, piers I don't know why they're so locked in on that date. You think that if you've got the games there and you've got the bodies to play, you just run through and just play it.
1: Yeah, it's it's hard because there's you know, the contracts and things like that and they, they missed the bite at the end of the season because they had, you know, the COVID scare around Australia with lockdowns and they just wanted to get games done while they could, which is why I thought, you know, maybe they'll move the grand final a little bit forward, but Uh, we think it will stay put and and those two teams will just isolate and and do the things. Interesting to say that because I was listening to Jeremy Cameron on Friday night source after the game and they hadn't been in Western Australia for a 14 day quarantine yet. Um, And it still counts if they go and play footy and go back, the quarantine continues. So if Geelong had lost, they would have had to fly back to Geelong that night or next morning and do a 14 day quarantine and then go into lockdown. As the town of Geelong is, but because they won, they stay in Perth. They're going to finish their 14-day quarantine, and if they lose against Melbourne on the weekend, or they lose, or they make the grand final and they lose that, they don't have to go back to Victoria. They can go anywhere else. So they can travel to Queensland, where um, parts of it isn't locked down, and they can go, you know, a little little holiday or Mad something. Mad Monday. And here here we go. Go back to lockdown in um, in Victoria. So I found that. Really interesting
0: That is really interesting I know that during the week The uh, the Western Bulldogs were a little bit unhappy With a similar sort of situation as Noah, Because GWS did uh, the similar sort of thing Where they travelled straight over to Perth And they were able to play some golf And uh, the, West, the Western Bulldogs were not able to They were sort of locked to their room For, for the 12-14 hours And uh, they did sort of uh, kick up a little of a stink That's unlike the Bulldogs though Pez To kick up a stink about something That's uh, not really relevant
1: no, well, Bulldogs haven't had any need to kick up a stink in the past two weeks, have they? <laughs> it's uh, been a no. dream
0: finals run at the
1: moment, and uh, five years ago, the dream continued for another two weeks. So, see if we can do that for the the Bulldogs fans. We've got three Victorian sides, and. Uh, one interstate side. So I am all on uh, Port Adelaide's bandwagon.
0: <laughs> yeah, Pez, so am I. I do not want another repeat of uh, the old, uh, you know, best four weeks in history as they continually talk about. And if you talk to anyone that doesn't like the Bulldogs, they'll give you the asterisks all over those games. <laughs>
1: Which is really hard for me on Friday night, Source, um, always wanting to root for the interstate club if my club's not in it. So you've got Melbourne versus Geelong. I think I want it to be a draw and then extra time, be a draw and then another draw. And then they just go, you know what? We'll eliminate both of you. Let's hand the premiership to Port Adelaide.
0: Well, I think, Piers, uh, you think you should be on Geelong there because I know that you don't want to go for interstate sides. But Melbourne is in the same sort of, you know, the same city as St Kilda, Piers. It is the city. So you definitely, if you're looking at the team that is the the further away from St Kilda, it has to be the, the Geelong Piers. And we know that you've got a soft softball for the boys in blue and white.
1: Uh definitely not. Um but there's a lot of a lot of different blue and white in the AFL and uh, I don't think I do, but it's gonna be a, a tough watch. Hopefully it's a good game on the Friday night. But let's uh we've spoken about both the sides that have been eliminated source, but we haven't done the little season over, so let's get that going. Season- <laughs>
0: Season over, Pez, and uh, what we do for this one is we go through the two teams that are eliminated, and I guess they're finishing fifth and sixth, Pez, and correct me if I'm wrong, the Giants finish sixth, is that correct? I, I always f- can't work out where they finish in this one.
1: Yeah, well, Brisbane, we had the higher spot on the ladder before um, the game, so both those sides got eliminated, but GWS did finish lower within the season, so actually finish lower overall.
0: All right, and what we do for this one, Pez, as we sort of alluded to, we talk about the, the season that was for the GWS Giants, what went wrong, what went right, what do they need to do for next year, and we give them a nice little hashtag. Pez, would you like to start this one off?
1: Yeah, so uh, GWS, we spoke about them a little bit. They uh, had injuries, had some silly suspensions and things like that. Um, they were quite impressive in the, in the latter part of the year to make the finals, you know, get a win against Sydney. Uh, but very disappointing at the start of the year, and we spoke about it. Uh, a lot of players not being on the par. Uh, it wasn't ideal what happened for them in the end because uh, Clarco was available and all I wanted to happen was uh, little Clarco's cluster up at, uh, up at GWS, but that, that's not able to happen. So, Leon Cameron's got to, you know, he's going to keep his job, obviously, and uh, come up with something different and maybe make some bold moves in, in the free agency trade period as well and, you know, put Canelio up on the up on the spot. I'm not sure how much you'd be able to get for him, but, you know, put him out there, fish fish a little bit. Um, for this one, I think this player has rejuvenated his career and for their whole season, he's, he's going to be a big part of the uh, their season going forward. So I've gone hashtag Hogan's Heroes because if this guy can continue to play how he did in the last four weeks of the season, uh, they can put all their midfield back around. You've got Tom Green, who's still up and coming. You've got Kelly out there you got Taranto, who plays up forward and in the midfield. Toby Green, one of the best players in the competition. Uh, they can be really dangerous. So Hogan's heroes for mine.
0: Yeah, I like that one, Pez. Uh, I like what you said there about, um, you know, the, the they had a lot of injuries throughout the year. But it, it's an interesting one because they started off really poorly, Pez. If you remember early on when we were calling for Clarko's head, uh, Clarko's head when we were calling for Leon Cameron to, to get the sack, they were 0-3. They had some really bad losses, Pez. They had a draw against North Melbourne, the team that finished last, and a loss to the Hawks as well. So, like, there's five wins that that are really, you know, five losses, sorry, that are, that really sort of stopped them from progressing um, a lot further in the finals. They have won four of the last five years they've won a final. Now, for a team that we continually talk about, Pez, who need to make that next step, that next jump, it's a pretty impressive uh, a pr- pretty impressive record, realistically.
1: Yeah, <laughs> He's exactly right, considering uh, the first six weeks was probably really, really horrible with some horrible, horrible, horrible losses. Um, they, they get to uh, you know prove that they can do it over a whole season, but they haven't had uh, players available available for a whole season in many, many years.
0: And that's where my hashtag comes, Fez, and, and it might sound familiar because I actually used this a couple of weeks ago. I've gone hashtag where's the green. Exact same thing because... These players that they talk about, so where's the green we're talking about, Tom Green, Toby Green, they need to stay in the team, they need to make sure that they get their list management right, Uh, again we're talking about the, the lack of players available at the end of the season, and we've sort of talked about this the last couple of years, when they have been healthy and they've been fit, we've seen them make a grand final. That's what we want from these teams. I love what you've said about um, you know off being a little bit bold during the trade period. They've got a lot of elite players um, from those, obviously, when they came into the league and, and that draft that they went through where they got 10 of the first, what, 30 picks before they were 18 or some rubbish you know setup that they had. I think it's actually the, the time, Pez, to be a little bit bold. And we've seen with they've got less players on the field that their game plan actually works a lot better with less elite players on the field. And they're actually able to get more cattlemen for the you know the areas that they need, rather than four or five players that play the exact same position and do the exact same things, and are struggling for the old uh, the me time pits. So I actually like what you said there about uh, moving someone on and maybe being a little bit bold and pick up some pieces that they actually need. Hogan would be fantastic in that forward line if he can stay fit and healthy. You know, remember when he burst on the seam against Mel- with, with Melbourne, he was fantastic and he had forty goals in the first ten games and looked you know unstoppable. Hopefully he can uh, recapture that the end of his career.
1: Yeah, and uh, he's shown glimpses of it last season which is, which is really good wasn't able to work out at Fremantle but um, can can go ahead there. So GWS uh, looking bright it'll be interesting when people do their ladder predictors if you know if you can trust GWS to, to win enough games and be back there in the finals, but they really if they want to compete, they've got to make that top four jump and, and that's going to be really tough for them to do um, with their currently so a few changes to be made. But the next side, Uh, We spoke about heartbreaking one-point loss and out in straight sets as well for the second time in a few years, uh, which isn't ideal for the Brisbane Lions.
0: Yeah, this one, Pez... uh the Brisbane Lions had a really, really impressive season. Uh, the Fagan sort of talked about this being one of their best seasons, but they scraped into the top four. They went out in straight sets. I don't know if you can actually say that. They did have a lot of injuries that sort of came at the wrong time and they had a rough start uh, to the season, similar to what GWS did. I've gone with the hashtag Dandy Lions, Pez, because... <laughs> Like I just don't know. Like everyone, They're all acting like everything's dandy and good, but there's a range of different things that are happening that I don't know if they're going to be able to reboost and go again. They do have a younger list. They do sort of, you know, at the start of the year, a lot of people were picking them as top four, but they're losing Neil, which, which was a bit of a concern. You know, the the Dan from Dandy line, they had Joe Danaher into that forward line that sort of created that structure, but that structure only works if they've got the cattle there and the, the injuries there to do. So for me, oh, I'm a little bit worried about how they go again, What's this? The fourth fourth shot at it since they've come there. They've made four years. They've made four top four finishes, and I think they've won two finals during that time.
1: Yeah, well, uh, big things to come, especially losing uh, Brownlee medals in Lockie Neal. They've yeah. got two players in Hipwood and Rayner coming off coming back off ACLs uh, next season as well. So interesting to see how they go. Um, I Like your hashtag, there, source. I've got uh, one that's very relevant and only uh, come about starting to think about it on the Sunday night is uh kneel down and McStay because uh, you, you're going to have to just, you know, kneel down to the powers above it, at Brisbane and uh, Lockie Neal, suck it up and stay for one more year and, and give it a real red hot crack.
0: Yeah, I like that, I, I, I We've already sort of spoken to about it at the start that they have – their list is good enough to be they, their list is good enough to have made a grand final. and if they Neil walks away, you know a Brownlow medalist walks away and they haven't made a grand final, which they haven't. It's a massive disappointment for the Brisbane Lions. They've got a lot of young players that are starting to hit those prime, you know that prime sort of um, of their career. You talk about you know McCluggage and Bailey and um, you know your mate Rayer, you look at Lincoln McCarthy, they've got a lot of players around the ground that that twenty five 26 mark. This is when they need those elite heads in Neil in there. They need, you know, they've probably only got a couple more years of line and rich and, and you know, the barometer, Mitch Robinson Pez Like they haven't got many years from these guys, Charlie Cameron as well, to, to capitalise on these opportunities. And I would not be letting a player go, a brand low medalist, if that, walk away with one year on the contract when we've just got, finished a, a top four finish and the, the, the third one in four years.
1: Mate, you say the barometer, and Mitch Robinson, which we all agree with, but <laughs> how do you reckon the actual uh, self-proclaimed barometer's feeling in Reese Matheson? He he might have a spot in this Brisbane Lions side now that Lockie Neal goes out. <laughs> yeah,
0: he'd be licking his lips, Pez. Uh, but uh, <laughs> not what we're going to talk about. We don't uh, talk about Brisbane season over. And we're talking about him as the barometer, Reese Matheson. Definitely not that, Pez.
1: Oh well, I just thought I'd mention it. You say barometer? That's all you can think about when someone self-proclaims himself as it, but uh, it sits on the substitute bench most of the season but Brisbane are in with the shop but got a little bit of work to do during the summer to, to reboot into uh, season 2022.
0: Yeah, they, they really do, Pez. Uh, I would hope that they are competing again next year. I hope that they um, they keep Neil or if they give up Neil, I hope they get something decent for them that makes them better but I, I can't see them getting anything better than a, an ex Low medalist.
1: <laughs> no, that's always the thing. You're never going to get well, anything. Maybe they do a, a uh, stroke
0: swap for the five.
1: There you go. <laughs> Jeez, Fife in that, in that Brisbane side. It's, it's, a, it's a nice talking point, but that's uh, just making stuff up, Sauce. Because, uh, <laughs> that's, that's not, not happening. Gonna happen. he's, he's Fremantle for life, that bloke. But um, that, that sums us up on this Monday night, Sauce. We'll probably, after the teams are announced 625 on Thursday, we can go straight into our bet slip. So we we'll, we'll review how we went in the semifinals. If you want to find out already, Check it out on Twitter at behind the bound, and then we uh, put our bets forth for the prelim final source. And uh, just to ruin it, if people you know haven't checked Twitter yet, we had a bloody good round.
0: We did, Pez. That seems to be the trend uh, for the last uh, month, <laughs> Pez. And uh, I would be really, really surprised, Pez, for a fourth year in a row if we don't finish the season in positive. It would have to be catastrophic <laughs> to, to, to end up in the uh, the negatives, Pez. But looking good at the moment.
1: The, the brain fade to, to miss that would be worse than Toby Green walking into an umpire after or at halftime or three-quarter time in a, in a first final. So um, that brain fade, surely one of us can, can't do that. But um, you don't want to you know, put all your eggs in one basket. you got to still do the work and, and put the time in and, and get the right results in three games of footy and a Brownlow medal night as well. So we've got a little bit more time for profit and uh, we're going to enjoy that. While we can, because over the summer we've got to wait probably until the NBA comes back on, until we you know, have something to watch each day.
0: And, Pez, I'm going to say it, for the fourth year in a row, we could actually have a Brownlow show. Because every year we say we're going to have a <laughs> Brownlow show, but with the, week, with the week off, surely we can get one in there, Pez, because we have talked about how profitable Brownlow night has been there. But unfortunately, generally it happens on uh, the school holidays and generally we've had too many beers and we can't normally get it done. Well, that's,
1: that's the issue, isn't it, where you can actually you know meet up year after year on, on the holidays and not have to go to work the next day and just uh, get on the source, so to speak. But uh, this year we're in lockdown, so we're, we probably don't have a, a case to do that and go anywhere. But you know what? We're probably going to do it over Zoom or something anyway and then uh, be too pissed to jump on and record a show.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is stock standard, Pez. Four years in a row we're calling it. I'm feeling good about this year, though, Pez, the Brownlow Show. Watch this space. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think uh, Source is uh, planning to jump on by himself and just <laughs> speak, speak to the Brownlow there. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that and uh, a little bit of fun going with the end of the season for those clubs. Condolences to GWS and the Brisbane Lions because their season is over. We have season over for three more teams only because one of them is going to be the eventual premiere of the 2021 AFL season in the first grand final hosted our favourite stadium, SBS Stadium,
0: source. Very exciting stuff, Pez. It's a real shame for you know a range of those fans that they're not going to be able to see their team compete for a premiership. But it is exciting. I know on Saturday night they continually showed that uh, reverse angle up high through the little gaps there, and the stadium looks immaculate. It's going to be a fantastic spectacle for at SBS Stadium, and it's as Pez, as you said, it's one of the one of our favourites. It is the best stadium uh, outside of the MCG, and it's uh, it's going to be good.
1: Mate, one thing, I was going to sign off, okay? I was going to do it, but I do have one more thing to say, and it's because, I've mentioned it before, but Eddie McGuire, doesn't he piss me off? Something shocking. He is a shit commentator that just wants to yell and scream all the time, and he's put in his little bid to to go over to Western Australia because he's the caller, and he wants to take his family over there, his sons or whatever, to go and watch the grand final. Piss off. I'm glad it was rejected, Eddie, and I hope he doesn't get his little... Uh, when he, you know, retaliates and goes, oh, I want to do this for this reason. And I'm not sure why it was news on my TV all week that Eddie Maguire can't go across because uh, over there, but no one else can either. So, Eddie, stay at home in Melbourne or Broadmeadows or wherever you're from. Try not to commentate the footy because I don't like listening to yelling and screaming when it's so fake.
0: Wow. There's uh, Pez's rant. <laughs> Jesus, Pez! might have to get a little segment for you going, Pez. The uh, no, the, Pe- just, the Pez dispenser actually unloads all the <laughs> all the candy. <laughs> Jesus, get all over it! No, Pez. I'm,
1: I'm dead set serious. So I hate listening to him as a commentator now because he just goes on and on, and that scream in my ears it just makes my ears bleed, and I, I just don't enjoy cleaning blood out of my ears after listening to him
0: commentate a <laughs> free <the> <laughs> Joy getting blood out of my ears like anyone enjoys that. Pez, come on, mate, wrap it up. Get off your high horse.
1: Yeah, well, well I'm Pez. Peace out.
0: I'm still sore. We'll catch up, hopefully, with a calmer uh, Pez next time.